Hello and welcome to another episode of our Software and Technology Podcast. My name is Dennis McInerney and I'll be your host today. And we have an incredibly interesting interview with Brian Noyes from Salience. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for having me. So Brian serves as CTO and co-founder of Salience, which is a software-based company out of the East Coast. Is that correct? Uh, actually, I'm based on the East Coast, but the, the company is sort of headquartered in San Diego area. Awesome. So Brian, obviously your career has kind of been pretty decorated. I mean, Microsoft Regional Director presently for you know the past 12 years. Kind of run me through, you know, where, what, where, how'd you get to this point in your career and how do we get here? I find that a lot of people in software development have, you know, very different entry points into the industry, uh, much more so than other, other uh, engineering arenas, I think. I actually came from an aerospace engineering background, education-wise, <clears throat> and was in the Navy for 20 years. Uh, actually, had 13 years active duty and then finished off in the reserves. So I didn't have, you know, a, a traditional entry myself into software development or computer science or anything like that. It just was something that I, you know, kind of came across while I was in the Navy. Had a had a guy in my squadron that was a computer science guy and got me introduced and I, I sort of developed a passion for it. Once I got senior enough in the Navy, I decided to uh, get off of active duty and start this career. And uh, so it kind of started with me having a pretty good experience base in terms of the technologies that were current at the time and, and programming capabilities and stuff. And I was lucky enough while I was in the Navy, the latter half of my Navy, Navy time, I was managing projects, some of which were software projects themselves. So I kind of had the benefit of kind of being on the customer side of things, at least the government customer side of things, and then kind of switching over, starting this career path and, and being on the you know producing side of software development. That's awesome. You know, with a field as broad as software development goes, I mean, how did the, you know, self-education aspect of, you know, working on this in your free time, how did that translate into, you know, a full-blown career following your time that you spend in the Navy? It's a good question. And and the answer has changed a lot from when I did it. When I kind of switched over, uh, there were, you know, a few different programming languages that were were prevalent. And, you know, there just wasn't that much very complicated, uh, especially distributed software systems. There were lots of little standalone apps and stuff like that, but but you just didn't have the, you know, especially the cloud-based and big data and all the, all the things we have today. So back then, I, you know, pretty much focused on first learning a programming language, which was C++ for me at the time. Um, and I got to a level where I really felt like I had mastered, you know, I, I could do anything that you could do with C++. Obviously, there's always domain knowledge that you need, whatever product you're going to go build, whether it's for the financial industry or the in insurance industry or military or whatever. You know, obviously, someone has to have the smarts to, to drive the development to produce the product that's needed. But I've always been more on the technology side where, you know, I don't necessarily have any single domain expertise, but I can translate those requirements into how to get it done with the technology. Nowadays, it, you can't have that same level of mastery. Like when I started, like I said, it was C++ was the programming language. And at the point where I was jumping out of the Navy was right when Microsoft's .NET platform uh, was being released uh, for the first time. And even back then, this was 2001, 2002 timeframe, 
you could, you know, really immerse yourself in .NET and feel like you knew the entire framework. Nowadays, there's frameworks on top of frameworks on top of frameworks, and it's just literally impossible to, you know, be a master of all the things you need in software. So you end up having to pick, you know, you either be a generalist and you're not very deep in any of this stuff, but you can at least kind of figure out what to use and then muddle your way through it. Or you become an expert in a small set of technologies, but it's never the complete set of technologies you would build, uh, you would need to build a modern software system. That's a really interesting take. I mean, I think as we grow in these careers and especially software development, continued education is something that always comes up. You know, I have friends in the space and they're constantly learning new languages, new frameworks, new workflows, and it all kind of ties into that growing need for knowledge within the space. That's something I always, you know, for people who are interested in the software development uh, industry and, and considering that as a, as a career path, the one thing I always, you know, sort of caution them or at least ask them is, are you someone who loves to learn? Because if you're not, you're going to hate software development because our technologies change every two to three years. They're, they're sort of the foundational things that stick around the, the programming language levels, <clears throat> although it seems like every year there's a new programming language that's, that's hot. Like I mentioned, Microsoft.net as a kind of platform, like the foundation you would build on has been around since the early 2000s. And, and while it continuously gets new capabilities on it, the fundamentals of how you use that platform haven't changed. So there's certain things like that, that once you know them, you can keep using them for, you know, a decade or more. But the, you know, kind of, how do I put this button on the screen and make it do this kind of stuff? That changes every year. Most definitely. So, hey, why don't you kind of walk us through, you know, your day-to-day at Salience and kind of what you guys are working on, where you guys are at in the industry, and kind of what the vision is for, you know, the future. Sure. We have a, we're a consulting company, but we only have the three co-founders that are part of the company. And we basically have a partner network that is um, basically associates of our company that we bring in as experts. So we kind of founded the, the company around the idea that there's lots of consulting companies out there that you can go and build something for you. But we didn't want to be just another consulting company. We saw a need where people need experts in a given technology at the point where they really need them. And they can't afford to hire someone who is just an expert in one thing and keep them around. And sometimes it's hard to track down those resources. So one of the key aspects of our business model is, is to have this big pool of resources where most of them are an expert in XYZ or, you know, whatever their specialty is. Like I mentioned a little while ago, you, you know, you can only really be a true deep expert in, in a few technologies these days uh, in software. So we just have a, a pool of resources we can pull from. And so a lot of our engagements with customers are not actually building them a product. We're just going in and, and educating, helping them select the right technology. So like I just mentioned in terms of, you know, how do I put a button on screen? Well, there's 20 different ways to do that. You know, which of these makes sense for you? Uh, we help them try to rationalize those, those decisions. And then as they're building things and they're, you know, running into things where they don't know how to use some aspect of the technology they're using, we just, you know, find one of our resources that knows that technology and, and pulls them in. But then we also do end-to-end -end project development for, for some customers that don't have their own uh, development team. 
So we have, you know, pretty varied business model in terms of there is no typical engagement for Alliance. It could be anywhere from a few hours of expert recommendations on how do you uh, use this technology or should you use this technology to a multi-year and end multiple releases kind of uh, development that, you know, basically we help them get to get to the goal line. That's very interesting. You know, from an industry expert like yourself, providing these clients with the solutions that they need, I think that kind of ties a lot into the continued education aspect and kind of educating people as you go. And I think that kind of ties into my next question, which is with the work that you're doing with Pluralsight, how does that tie into the work that you're doing for these clients? How does educating and kind of developing these courses tie back into the core business of what you guys are doing at Salience? Uh, good question. So they're they're somewhat disjoint in that um, over over my software career, I've been an educator of some sort in in various capacities. Some with classroom style training uh, on software development technologies. Most of our consulting engagements take on a, a mentoring aspect at some point uh, during the engagement, where we're you know generally trying to get that customer up to speed on the technology we're helping them adopt, so that they can you know, run on their own with it and not have a dependency on us. And so there's, you know, there's kind of educational aspects across what we do in Salience, but the the Pluralsight courses, uh, Pluralsight for people who haven't heard it, is a company that produces online technical training. And you basically sign up and the courses are online. We uh, demonstrate technology, we do coding and uh, capture the screen and, and you know, provide a, kind of an instructional path through a single technology or how to integrate multiple technologies and so on. So there's definitely a complementary aspect to what we do at Alliance, being an author for Pluralsight. Uh, and, and more and more these days, people have different learning styles and, and you know, different people like different things. But video-based learning for software tends to be a very successful model. It's, it's you know, harder and harder to go and pick up one book that's going to show you what you need. You need to be able to kind of dabble around and say, okay, I need a little of this, a little of that. And so the Pluralsight library is now, I forget, uh, well over 5,000 courses in the library. So it makes it a very good reference library, even if you're not just starting from scratch learning a technology. It's it's something you can go in and go, okay, I'm doing this one thing with this technology. Let me go find a course that covers that and, and you know, just a portion of that course and watch it. And, and developing those courses Certainly, there's a lot of research that goes into them and, and figuring out, you know, you should be a fairly decent expert in the technology if you're going to go instruct on it. Um, so there's a lot of kind of lead up to producing a course. You don't just say, well, I want to learn this, so I'll go produce a course on it. The expertise that you develop in preparing for a course um, also complements what we do in our consulting engagements. Yeah, I think time and time again, I'm seeing sites kind of like Pluralsight or Udemy being used, you know, in the professional setting a lot. I mean, the company I work for, MarketScale, we have a lot of employees that are very interested in furthering their career from an education standpoint. And we'll take courses on just about everything from 3D animation to stuff in relation to analytics and data science. So it's cool to see that, you know, it's kind of a trend within the within a lot of industries, the continued education aspect and kind of pushing the entire knowledge base of the industry forward. And that kind of ties into my next question, which is, you know, what emerging trends are you seeing in the industry, you know, over the past year that have kind of been shaking things up or changing the way that you guys approach projects or clients and 
the workload that you're seeing? Well, there's definitely, there's always, you know, the latest buzzwords in, in software. Um, and they usually will, you know, stick around for a few years after first introduced. So there's some of the most recent trends include definitely artificial intelligence is starting to come into reality. I, I did a master's in computer science over 20 years ago, and I remember, you know, studying artificial intelligence at the time, and it seemed really cool until you got to the part where they're like, but it's not really practical to use it yet because it requires too much computational power. And, you know, we're finally to a point now, and, and it partly builds on a previous buzzword, which is cloud, you know, still very relevant and, and lots of companies moving to it. You know, not the newest buzzword, you know, cloud kind of enables artificial intelligence or AI because now you have these, you know, vast data centers out there that you can spin up a lot of resources for a very short period of time just to do some analysis of data to, uh, you know, infer things through predictive analysis and, and artificial intelligence algorithms from that data. And then you can spin those resources back down and you're not, you know, having to build out some monstrous data center that you're not going to be using all the time. Artificial intelligence, you know, and, and most consumers get their first exposure to it through things like Siri on iPhones or, or Alexa on the uh, Amazon devices. That's just one aspect of it. But there's, you know, computer vision is definitely growing in industrial scenarios where you can have basically automated safety monitors that look for, you know, equipment that's not in the right place uh, and can recognize pieces of equipment and whether they're stored correctly and things like that. So artificial intelligence is definitely a big growing area in software development. The other kind of a, a, a niche technology that, non-software people wouldn't fully understand, but is is very popular these days is something called containers. And containers are just a way of kind of packaging some software that you want to deploy that makes it much more resilient to not being interfered with by other software in the same environment. So if you deploy two apps to a server, there's a very good chance that the stuff installed by one app is going to interfere with stuff installed by another app. And containers kind of solve that problem by wrapping each of those apps in this kind of impervious container where they have everything they need to run inside their container and they don't care what the host environment is that they're sitting in. So containers and Docker is the, the big uh, kind of brand around that. Docker containers is one of the, the hot topics these days. You know, I thought it was interesting that you kind of mentioned Siri and Alexa as kind of the in for artificial intelligence right now because you're seeing more and more people, you know, adopt these voice assistants in their homes and in their workplace. I mean, we have an Alexa here at work that controls, you know, the music playlist. But it's interesting to see how artificial intelligence is being used, you know, in these large-scale, you know, buildings from a facility management aspect, you know, like controlling the lights and keeping up with efficiencies within the within the building. But, you know, I kind of want to talk about your role at Microsoft and what you've been doing for them. You know, obviously, 12 years under your belt at the company is a pretty amazing feat. I mean, we've had a few people from the Microsoft dev team on the podcast previously, but I'd like to kind of hear about your role and how it plays into kind of the bigger picture. Sure. So the Microsoft regional director title is somewhat misleading. I don't work for Microsoft. That's actually a program, and I'm also a Microsoft MVP, which stands for uh, Most Valuable Professional. 
but the the Microsoft Regional Director title confuses everyone. Basically, it's a it's a program, both the MVP program and RD for Regional Director uh, for short, are programs where Microsoft selects people in the development community that have a good expertise with their products that uh, you know can help their customers figure out how to adopt Microsoft technologies and so on. So the, the Microsoft Regional Director Program, and you can find out more about it at rd.microsoft.com, is basically a small set. There's about 150 of us worldwide uh, selected by Microsoft that basically we provide them feedback. So they'll give us early looks at things that they're working on, you know, may not even be committed to actually releasing to get some feedback on those. And we give them deep feedback on that. And then we also obviously help evangelize their products and educate people. But the, the Microsoft Regional Director Program, one thing they've, you know, kind of changed the focus a little bit in the last few years that is really good is they actually don't want people who are just totally focused on Microsoft. They want people who understand multiple platforms, understand, you know, a decent amount of what the competitive platforms are so that they can provide that balanced input to go, you know, hey, Microsoft, uh, you're building this thing and it's going to be 10 times as hard to use as the competitor. You know, why don't you do it this way kind of thing? That's kind of what the role of the Microsoft Regional Director is. And like you mentioned, I've been, been associated with that for over 10 years. It's a great program. You know, we get deep insights into what's being built and that helps us in our own businesses to help our customers adopt those technologies when they are available. Um, and, and then, like I said, the you know, cross-platform emphasis in recent years helps benefit our business because then our customers don't see us as just shills trying to push Microsoft products down their throat. You know, we, we can legitimately go in and say, well, you know, here's how Amazon does it. Here's how Microsoft does it. Which of these aligns better with your requirements? So that's that's basically what the the regional director program is. So as a thought leader in kind of the software and development industry, what do you see on the horizon as far as adoption goes? You know, we have a guest coming up on our show sometime next week who's working on a really large scale project. They're taking all of the transportation data from the Texas Department of Transportation and they're moving it to the cloud. It's a it's a very large scale project. And I can't wait to dive into that. But where do you see, you know, the industry as a whole from an adoption standpoint on these, you know, big topics like IoT, big data and AI? I mean, we're seeing the larger companies like Apple, Amazon, really taking it, you know, under their wing and really pushing these new technologies. But where do you see, you know, are we still going to see a few years until the mass adoption of these kind of new tech ideas being implemented? Definitely. And, and like you just mentioned, you know, a lot of companies are now in the phase where they're doing, we, we call it lift and shift, where they're taking their existing application functionality that, that was previously hosted on their own servers and their own data centers, which meant they had to buy those servers, buy the licenses, keep the systems up to date and all that kind of stuff. Lifting and shifting that functionality to the cloud because there's a lot of a lot of benefits there. Now, cloud's been a buzzword and a focus for for a lot of companies for a while now, but you know it took a good three to five years for a lot of companies where they had to you know constantly hear cloud, 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 cloud. This is the place to go before they were convinced that they should actually you know invest in doing that. And I think we're still you know prior to that phase uh, for definitely for a lot of artificial intelligence stuff. 
um, that has really just kind of come into its own with Microsoft and, and with the, the other competitors in the last two or three years. So in my mind, I always have this, you know, kind of three to five year window that when something new and groundbreaking comes out, most enterprises, big enterprise companies are generally not going to jump on it too quick. They they tend to have a reservation and and the government's even worse. You know, it's it's often, you know, five to eight years after a major technology comes out that they'll they'll wait and make sure it's going to stick around and it's stable. And then they also, you know, will have, depending on the environment, they may have to do pretty stringent security audits on it to really figure out whether they want to adopt it. So I think for AI, for uh, IoT, in the kind of timeline of things, I would say it kind of went cloud, uh, then big data, then IoT, and then AI as sort of the, the sequence that those started becoming the hot topics. You know, IoT for the right industries is, you know, going well and the cloud enables that in a lot of the same ways that I mentioned the cloud enabling AI between uh, uh, big data and, and AI there with the IoT stuff. You know, there's whole frameworks and stuff that make it much easier to go and get a, get a device and collect the data from those devices, pipe it into your big data pipeline, and really have these kind of end-to-end solutions that look nothing like any kind of software anyone was building 10 years ago. So I think there's, you know, there's a lag that's natural, uh, just a, you know, conservative reservation of jumping on things too quick that's wise for big companies. And I think it just takes time to see lots of other, you know, kind of smaller people taking the plunge and having success with it for the bigger companies to say, okay, yeah, that's something we should really go after too. Well, Brian, I think we had, you know, I think we covered a lot of interesting topics. I think, you know, obviously from your perspective, as an industry expert and kind of walking us through, you know, what's going on in software development, what's on the horizon and what you're seeing in the industry currently, you know, these are some incredibly valuable insights and I can't wait for the listeners at home to hear them. Great. Well, I appreciate you having me. For everybody out there listening, this is, I've been on the line with Brian Noyes. He's the CTO and co-founder of Saliance. He also works as a Microsoft regional director for the Mid-Atlantic region. And he's a Microsoft MVP, a big-time evangelist for software development of all kinds. And he also publishes courses online on Pluralsight, which is an online training course for professional developers. So, Brian, thanks again for coming on the show. Great. Well, thank you.